Uh-huh. I know what you're thinking. Is this the booth drafting the circuits? Three-way theater or the Kevin Jackson show? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kinda lost track myself here on Hoobazoo.com. So, do you feel lucky, punk? Oscar Mike Radio, come in, come in Oscar Mike Radio. Sinister One, this is Oscar Mike. I have Ulima Charlie over. Travis, a.k.a. P-Dog, coming at you. It is Thursday, February 23rd, 2017. This is Oscar Mike Radio, on the move, on mission for veterans everywhere. And as always, well, most always, we will start with the question of the week. The question of the week is... What do you think about PTSD? And I was asked that, and I was asked that from the perspective of someone who doesn't know a whole lot about it. There's a perception sometimes that certain people are just faking it or just trying to gain the system, malinger, what have you. I think the answer is more complex than that. I I think it's a very real thing, but I also think that we have to look at the complete picture. We have to understand historically what has happened. We have to understand how treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder has changed. There are some who advocate for really keeping people on a disciplined drug regimen and monitoring them closely. There are some people who advocate for less medicine, less chemicals, and more counseling, more therapy. The people that I have seen with PTSD and and worked with in the past, it really depends. I, I have seen people who have got their medical uh, regimen dialed in, they know what they're supposed to take, when they're supposed to take it, they go to their appointments regularly without fail, and they can get through life. And then I have met people who told me they were tired of taking drugs, taking drugs, taking drugs, found something, it could be as simple as a support group, yoga, art, writing, um, a combination of all those with, you know, some counseling therapy, and they were able to feel good about themselves. One of the things I'm going to profile 
later this year is the the advent, if you will, of animal therapy, where some of these people have gotten pets, dogs primarily, to help them get through their uh, day. And that's worked for them. So are there people who malinger and, you know, will not be as straightforward about their condition as others? I'm sure there are. If you look at the number of people that, you know, have served, the number of people there in the VA system, numbers tell you that not all of those people are probably legit. I, I don't really want to worry about that right now in this format and forum. I, I'm more concerned about the people that come to me and say, I've got a problem and I need some help. And when someone does that, that's when you stop what you're doing and you help them or you guide them to someone who can help them. And if you're listening to this and, you know, you, you don't know what to look for or, you know, what the signs are, that's okay, that's fine. But what you must be able to do is when someone says, hey, I can I come over and talk to you? Can we go out for a beer or a cup of coffee or just hang out and talk? You know, I got some things on my mind. Please, please, please make yourself available. You know, that that's that's a that's a guaranteed cry for help. And you have a chance. And you might not have served. You might not have served. You might have served and never seen combat, and that's okay. But that person thought enough of you and what you meant to them to reach out to you. And if you are talking to somebody and need some need some help figuring out where to go, please reach out to me. My email address is Travis at OscarMikeRadio.com and I might not have the answers, but I can certainly get you on the path to getting some. Because it's for real. It's it's when you average it out twenty two veterans a day do commit suicide. So, yes, I think PTSD is real. I think it's a constant uh, problem with warfare. And you can't just suck it up. But you can, if you're in a position, in a situation, to make a difference in someone's life. And that is the question of the week. And now we move on to the word. The word flowing Sometimes, well, most often from the top to the bottom, all around in formation, out of formation. In the military, the word is how knowledge and information about what we're doing is spread. And the word of this week is about a military installation. I am in Shreveport, Louisiana this week, the greater Shreveport, Bossier area. And you would ask yourself, well, <laughs> what's in Shreveport, Louisiana, and, and the answer is there's, there's a whole lot, actually, but then again, there's not a whole lot, but that's for a different uh, kind of topic. However, if you talk to a lot of military guys who have been around, especially in the Air Force, if you say Shreveport, Bossier, they know what you're talking about, and that can only be Barksdale Air Force Base. 
And I wanted to take this episode and talk about Barksdale and what it meant to me and, you know, how cool it was as a kid growing up and uh, some of the history behind it and what it is now. So I, I joined the Marine Corps from Shreveport, Louisiana. That's pretty well known. But my first real contact with the military, as in seeing people in military uniform, military equipment, military formations, and you know how a base was laid out, wasn't the Marine Corps. Here's a reserve unit in Shreveport. But there's no Marine base in Shreveport. The biggest military installation in that area is Barksdale Air Force Base. And so every year, they have an air show, and my dad would take us all to the air show. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, they had all the planes out. They had World War One, you know, you know, the Fokker mock-ups with the red paint and the black German cross. They had the you know World War One, you know, U.S. planes and the Sopwith camels from you know, Britain, and then the World War II planes, you'd had, uh, you know, I don't know if it was real or not, but you had the Japanese Zeros and some German planes, and of course, my favorite was the P-51 Mustang, and uh, you had the groups bringing in the B-17 bomber and the B-24 bomber. You could see the KC-10s and KC-135 refueling planes, but uh, the king daddy of them all, I mean, the absolute, you know, beast, the apex predator, if you will. I mean, because, yeah, the F-16s were cool. The, you know, the Thunderbirds flying the F-16s, those were cool. And the F-18s were cool. And the F-15s, I mean, those were all cool, no doubt. But the absolute king, the Tyrannosaurus Rex of aircraft, you got to see that day, without question, had to be the B-52. I mean, and it's kind of debatable. I mean, was it the biggest plane? Because every now and then they'd land like a C-5 Galaxy or a C-17. And those are huge aircraft. But as, as far as sheer force projection, I mean, you're, you're a you know 15-year-old kid and you like airplanes and you like military stuff and you want to check this thing out. And you go in front of the B-52 and I was just, I would stop. And just look at this thing. It didn't have one engine. It didn't have two engines. It had eight. Eight engines. Its wingspan was so long that the wings themselves had landing gear to keep the wings upright. And it was old. They started building this thing back in the 1950s and it came on service in the 1960s. When it came out, it had... um, it was crewed by gunners. You know, it had a tail gunner. It had a, I think, a belly and a, and a, and a uh, roof gunner. Th- those are all gone now. And, and it's strictly designed to go anywhere in the world and drop bombs with laser precision and come back. That's what this thing does. But here I am, 15 years old, and I, and I get to see this thing as close as they let you go. And I was just in awe. So, Barksdale is home to the second bomb wing. You know, that's what it is. 
but it's also home to the um, the 917th uh, fighter group, which is comprised of A-10s. And, and so Barksdale has a very huge beef with people who want to get rid of the A-10. And it was A-10s from Barksdale that were over in Iraq um, in Operation Desert, Desert Storm, you know, lighting up those uh, tanks and stuff so our guys, you know, didn't have to face those things. B-52s from Barksdale have been involved in every major conflict since the, you know, Korean War. And, you know, it'd be cool to, you know, go down and watch these things take off, kind of see them off. People would come around and, you know, King's Highway and watch the B-52s uh, take off and you realize there's, you know, husbands and fathers and, you know, wives and mothers going to do their job thousands of miles away. They're going to be refueled by, you know, KC-10s, KC-135s in midair, you know, go drop their payload half a world way and, and, and come back. And And there's the B-2, which is a different kind of aircraft entirely, but there's really honestly no other aircraft in the world that can do what it can do. Now you have the Russian equivalent, the TU-95 Bear. It is a prop plane though. It, it, it's a turboprop. It's not, it's, it doesn't have jet engines. So it's a different kind of beast. It's still, you know, awesome, but compared to the B-52, it's just not, it never will be. So as a kid growing up, that was my first real contact with the military, and, and I really liked military aviation. I was one of those nerdy kids reading about how, you know, in, in World War One they, they got the aircraft to, how they got the, the guns to work. They would, the guns would fire between the, the prop blades, so the prop blade comes around, and the bolts would fire between the blades. I thought that was like completely crazy. I mean, who thought of that? So you wouldn't actually, you know, blow the propeller off an airplane, but still be able to take the fight to the enemy. I thought that was was awesome. I was interested in, 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 in aviation. I was interested in, you know, radars. I was interested in how, you know, the, the F-117 stealth fighter did its thing. And this is my first experience with it. So I guess you might be asking yourself, well, how did you go from, you know, being so uh, entranced with the Air Force to the Marine Corps? <laughs> I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. I've thought about that several times. I could have very easily joined the Air Force, went to boot camp in San Antonio, and maybe got stationed back in Shreveport or did my reserve time in Shreveport in the Air Force. I don't know. I can't tell you why. I think about it all the time my life would be different but I don't know I don't know but back to the the air base itself um, you know it was named after Lieutenant Eugene Barksdale he lived from 1895 to 1926 he flew in World War I and was honored by uh, Great Britain for his service in World War One. He died in Dayton, Ohio, when he was testing a a new aircraft, and so the base was named after him. 
And as I said before, it is the home of the second bomb wing in the Air Force. And today it houses B-52Hs, which is, again, pretty cool when you think of how they go through a life cycle for an aircraft to keep upgrading it and maintain it. And A-10 Warthogs from the 917th Fighter Group. And it is a big part of the shreveport Bossier community. People really come out to see the air show. And if you can't get on base because there's nowhere to park, which has happened before, people will line up on the highway to watch the, uh, primarily it's the Thunderbirds, sometimes the Blue Angels. The Blue Angels are the Navy uh, precision flying team. The Thunderbirds are the Air Force's precision flying team. The Blue Angels use F-A-18s. The Thunderbirds use F-16s. Regardless, you watch these people pilot these things and do this. It's, it's just a very, very cool event. And, and so I guess the purpose of this podcast was, was to throw some love and respect toward uh, the people who are on this base, who do this job. It is not an insignificant task to get an airplane loaded up off the ground, in the air, a half a world away to do its job and come back. It's not. And growing up in that town, you you realize that you could say you were from Shreveport, Bossier, and people knew who you were talking about when you mentioned Barksdale Air Force Base. And even today, people will ask me where I'm from. I'll say, you know, Shreveport, Louisiana. And they're like, did you ever go to Barksdale Air Force Base? I'll go, yep. And they're like, yeah, cool. My brother was a refueler on a KC-10 or, you know, my my dad worked the flight line or my dad a long, long time ago, you know, was a crew chief on an F-111 aardvark. That's a Vietnam airplane. And it's just very, very cool. You know, and and because it, it's kind of almost not like right in the center of uh, the two towns, but it's it's a part of the uh, local infrastructure. I mean, you can sit there almost anywhere uh, in certain places in, in both cities, and you can see the airplanes taking off. You can drive around it. You can go up to the base. There's tours. And if you're ever in the uh, Shreveport-Bosier area, I would strongly suggest that you take the tour of the airbase. It is cool. If you watch the old black and white or some of the older uh, military movies or even some of the ones that are made now with some of these planes, you'll see restored, you know, replicas or, you know, they're, how, how do you say that? When they're retired, they're, they're not, they're not active, but they've taken an airplane shell and, taking all the armaments and stuff off it and made it to where it's a museum piece. Some of these are pretty cool. And to get an idea of how big and small these are and, you know, what, what, what kind of seats the pilots sit in and what their controls look like and how the dials and switches all work together. It's just something that if you get the time to do it, it's, it's, it's really cheap money and it's a good take. And I, I can't say it uh, strong enough to check it out.
and you'll have people there who are very proud to talk about um, you know the museum pieces and also people in the community who are very proud of what the base means to that area so that is um, the word of the week I'm enjoying my time in this area it's good to be back and I'm hoping to get my uh, crew down there to see the uh, museum myself so that is the word of the week and so now now the complaint department has weighed in with more whining and complaining and as all military guys know we're not happy unless we're complaining and when we quit complaining that's when we need to watch out and This is this is an oldie but a goodie, but they, you know they got into a huge scrum over this. Is the drinking age in the military? Now, even when I was in many years ago, you couldn't drink alcohol unless you were over twenty-one, and if you were an older service member and brought a thirty-pack back to your barracks room and you let someone younger than 21 have a beer, you got in all kinds of trouble. Now, I have my own feelings about this, but this is their feelings. They're like, you know what, if, if, damn it, if I'm old enough to, you know, be ordered to kill a man, I should be old enough to have a beer. And my reply was, well, you know, the problem is, is, between the ages of 18 and 21, your judgment isn't that good. And they were like, look, Travis, was your judgment that fine at 23, 24, 22, 26? And I'm like, well, okay, but I didn't look to do stupid things. I didn't try to get in trouble. But I did plenty of extra duty because my younger brothers decided it would be cool to get drunk stack their mattresses outside and jump off the second floor balcony and, you know, do air bowling that way. That was, that was a cool idea until the first sergeant showed up. So there's something between the ages of 18 and 20, 21 that's not quite working right upstairs in a guy's mind. And then there's a tendency to drive under the influence, DWI, the whole nine yards, I really hated it when you had to bury a Marine who was killed while driving drunk, uh, especially if it's preventable. So I, I'm on the fence about it. I see their point, but they're all fired up about it, that, that, that you should be able to, as a man, because they feel Air Force, Army, doesn't matter, that when you go through boot camp and, and you get pinned, that you're not a kid anymore, you're a man. And I'm like, well, I think you guys are living in the past a little too much, but okay. But that is their complaint of the week, and we'll see what they have for us next week. Okay, an upcoming event I was asked to tell you all about. This is the Veterans, Inc., 20th Annual Best Ball Charity Golf Classic. 
this organization uh, does is support veterans and their families. It is Wednesday, May 10th, 2017 at 9 a.m. at the Heritage Country Club in Charlton, Mass. And you can go to the website veteransinc.org events to find out more. There are forms. They have a lot of sponsors. They have the silver sponsor, which is Dunkin' Donuts, and the hole-in-one sponsor, which is Sheldon's Harley-Davidson. And so you can go to the website and find out more about it. You can call 508-791-1213, extension 1162, or email golf at veteransinc.org. So again, it's their 20th annual uh, charity golf classic. They raise money for uh, veterans in need in the greater Boston area. If you have an event that you want profiled on Oscar Mike Radio, please email me at Travis at OscarMikeRadio.com, and I'll be sure to put it on the, um, the show, the blog site, Facebook, all that good stuff. And you can see me on Facebook at Oscar Mike Radio, Twitter at Oscar Mike Radio, Instagram, YouTube, the whole nine yards. So that is it for me from Shreveport, Louisiana. Thank you very much for listening. This is Travis with Oscar Mike Radio, out.